Isaiah chapter 35 verse 1. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, Be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For waters shall burst forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of jackals where each lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, and a road. And it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads, they shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is the Word of God for the people of God. God. Amen. You may be seated. Such a beautiful passage. It's one of my favorite passages in Scripture, and I don't think I've ever spoken on it here. I want to ask you a question about what you believe today. And that is, what do you think the final result of faith in Christ is? In other words, for you, what are you in it for? Seriously questioning this to you. Why do you come to church? For answers? To see family? Because it's expected? What do you expect to happen when you came today? Did you expect a miracle? Did you expect God to show up? Did you expect the world to change for you in some ways? Did you expect that God would touch you? What were you thinking as you prepared to come today? Many of us come here with our own agenda. We know what we want when we're ready to leave. We know what time we want to leave. We know what we're going afterward. And all those thoughts are present in our mind. Some people think that church is supposed to cater to them. Maybe you've heard comments in your life about folks like that, they say, church is too hot, church is too cold, preacher talks too short, 
Preacher talks too long. He's too loud. He's too quiet. Uh, I don't like the way they talk to me. I like the way they talk to me. All this stuff. And it's all about catering to us like it's an entertainment or something. Church is not meant for entertainment purposes. Although, you may leave with a smile on your face and a song in your heart. Maybe we say, well, the service wasn't very professional. Maybe it was too professional. Maybe it was too stuffy. Maybe it was too relaxed. Maybe the preacher was too happy or maybe he was too sad. Maybe he cried and he shouldn't or maybe he didn't and he should have. Maybe he didn't pray for this person or talk about that person enough or maybe he talked too much about them. Or maybe they, you felt convicted and you didn't like that and so you don't want to hear that so your agenda isn't meeting the way you wanted it to be. Maybe... But my question is, if any of those thoughts run through anybody's mind, who's being worshipped when we think that way? What is the goal and result of faith in Christ? A perfect worship experience? (laughs) I can't answer that for you, but I can tell you what it is not. First of all, for many... The goal of the result of faith in Jesus Christ is eternal life. A lot of people say that's that's my goal. Salvation is not the goal of faith. A lot of people believe that. And they get excited when someone will come and say a prayer and say they love Jesus and need forgiven and repent but then go on their own way and they say this person now has an eternal place in the kingdom of God, but they're just as messed up when they left and never change. God never touched them. God never reached them. The Holy Spirit never infiltrated their lives. Never had opportunity and no one invested in that person to help them grow. Salvation is not the goal of faith. It is a byproduct. It comes along with it. But that is not what it's all about. If you think so, I have to challenge you this morning to tell you that the result of faith in Christ is to have Jesus Christ. It's to be a part of who He is. To be a part of His kingdom. And to have Christ is to want to be like Him. In... 1 Corinthians 13, it says, We shall know Him and be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And He will see us as we already are. We'll know ourselves. And we will know who we really are then. One day, when all is revealed face to face. But God tells us in Scripture, holiness is the goal of a relationship with Jesus Christ. That He's trying to make us holy as He is holy. Now, He's not talking about so you can talk about how holy you are. Well, look how good I am, God! God's going to laugh at you if you think that. (laughs) As a matter of fact, if you walk around saying, look how much God is doing through me. I'm such a wonderful person and God loves me and I must be really special. And you are special to God, but we all are. 
We are all important in the eyes of God. We all matter. Each person that hurts or is burdened, God knows about. And He's trying to let us know that His Son, Jesus Christ, is trying to enter into our life to transform us. So that we can transform a world that has obviously gone mad. Right has become wrong. Justice has gotten into our own hands. And we don't know what to do about it. In Isaiah it says, God's highway, the highway of holiness, can only be walked by those who are holy. And I'm so thankful that it says that whoever walks this road, although they're a fool, will not go astray. I've been telling you for quite some time, I'm a fool for Jesus and I'm going to let myself stay that way. I love Jesus. I want the world to know about Him. I don't really concern myself with whether they think it's politically or socially correct because Jesus Christ is eternally correct. He is not a idea. I was talking to someone this week who thought Jesus was uh, an idea just like Buddha and Muhammad and uh, Zen and all this other stuff that people want to use. He said, it's just another idea of how to control people. God is not after controlling you. He's here to set you free so you can live, love, and be a fruitful person who is created for a purpose. Knowing why you are here is one of the greatest feelings in the world. Mark Twain said it like this, there are two important days in your life. One is knowing when you're first born that you have a life. And the second most important day is the day you find out why. It's true. Because once you know, you don't have to wonder, should I be doing that? (laughs) Should I be doing that? You know, because it either fits with what God's asking you to do, or it does not. <laughs> I'm just thankful when I was reading this scripture, I'd forgotten it said that it said we, although a fool, and there's hope for all of us, huh? <laughs> we can be absolute idiots, crazy to other people. But a fool can walk it, but an unholy man cannot, and an unholy woman will not. It says the unclean will not pass over it. Let me share with you a little bit about what Scripture means by the unclean. It's one who is unrepentant. One who has not asked God to help them to live out the faith and repent for the life they lived in selfishness with their own agenda rather than God's. I don't know if I've ever shared this story with you, but there's a seminary professor, I'm sorry, his son was a college professor, but the seminary professor you may have heard of, Stephen Siemens. His son, David Siemens, was teaching a religion class in a public university. 
his father brought him up to be a very, very Jesus-loving man. But in a public university, teaching a religion class, it doesn't mean that you can talk about it directly and try to convert people. But one day, David was talking to his father while he was at the seminary campus visiting. He says, Dad, God's put it on my heart to give an altar call at my class next week. He said, if word gets out, you will be terminated from employment there. He says, I know. But God's told me to do it and I don't know what to do. And he said, well, if you really believe it's God, you got to do it. And he wrestled with it. Struggled with it. The day was coming. And he finally said, okay God, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Altar call. I'm going to tell people about your son. I'm going to do all I can. We're going to pray. We're going to see salvations. God, and I'm going to get terminated. You just find me another job. Well, it turns out that he had also given them an assignment as one of their required course readings for the year. And it was that week that that assignment was due to have been read. And the book was called Holiness. A book that was written in the early 1900s discussing scriptural holiness. Well, in this class, he had some pre-theological students, which means some of these folks wanted to go on to be ministers. In his class, he had some people who wanted to go on to be missionaries. Of course, he also had in his class these electives who took the class because they had to take the class to get through the college. It was a required course. The day comes. He's got his letter ready for resignation, but he's doing it. And he gets up toward the end of class and says, Folks, i got one thing left to do here today, but before I do it, are there any questions about the book that you read? And the first one, who was a pre-theological student serving a student charge nearby, said, Yeah, I got a question. How do I do it? He said, What do you mean? He said, I'm pastoring a little church. I'm getting beat up. I can't seem to live this holiness life. It's killing me. The church is not doing well. They're fighting. Their in-gathering is just horrible. It's just the worst experience I've ever had. What can you do to help me? And another guy stood up and said, before you answer that question, I am too. I want to be a missionary, but everything's falling apart in my life. I want more of what this book says. I've never had that. I need that. And another person over in another corner said, yeah, I do too. I read that book. I need that. And the first guy got up and said, maybe we can all find it together. And so the man who's at the little church goes over to the man who's missionary, starts praying with him. And they together go to the other one. And there's a a student who has an elective. (laughs) And he says, I read that thing. I thought this Jesus stuff was a bunch of junk, but I want this Jesus stuff. How do I get it? And so they all three went over and prayed with him and he got the Lord. And David's going, what's going on? I'm having an altar call. I didn't do it. 
I'm not going to get fired. God, you're really good. I'm so thankful. He watched five of his students that day come to the Lord and begin a mission work in their lives. People were encouraged. And this is what he said about it. And he was the one who was telling us this story a few years ago. He said, God just wanted to know if I'd be faithful regardless. Would I seek Him above my own agenda? Above my own personal safety? And He honored it because I said yes. But He didn't cost me my safety. He brought me students hungry. You just don't know what God's going to do. So I want to ask you this morning, are you adding to the world's problems or are you a part of the solution? Second Peter tells us in chapter 3, these words are up on the screen as well for you. And I can't, I can't emphasize these enough. It says, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in a night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Now listen to this next verse. Therefore, since, since, not if, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? What kind of person ought you to be if the day of the Lord is actually coming and you really believe that God is who He says He is? And then the next verse, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens are going to be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. And in verse 13, Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Holiness, if you will. Therefore, beloved, looking ahead, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, without spot and blameless. I got to tell you, Scripture tells us things are going to get worse before they get better. From the time I was young to the day now, it's noticeably a different, completely society. We are so connected, we see all the tragedy before it even makes the nighttime news now. By then, they're already on another news story. Fear, says Scripture, is going to rule the day. People are going to be afraid to leave their homes in some cities and towns. Not sure whether they'll even make it back home. Their fear for their children. Kind people, loving people, gracious people are going to be taken advantage of. Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, anyone who would put his hand to the plow and look back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Now, He's not talking about that we look where we came from, but looking back with regret that we no longer are who we were. Think about that for a minute. If God transforms you the moment that Jesus Christ enters into your life and begins to work in you and you desire for Him to stop, 
You desire that your old life was better. Your life without Christ was more uh, enjoyable. That it was something that was more important to you. And that you look back. He says you have not been fit for the kingdom of God. He's talking about... uh, Now, farmers know this better than I do, but I've seen this happen a couple times. When you hook an implement onto the back of a tractor, it doesn't just slide in and connect. You gotta jiggle it and work it a little bit before you can put the pin in and lock it in. And then you can use the implement. This locking in, it has to fit just right or it's not gonna work. It's not just like a train and back up and click on when you have a toy. There are a lot of things that have to work right for this to work properly. And so it is. That's what it's talking about. That we have to be fitted. And once we're fit, if we say, boy, I don't know, this fit just doesn't seem right. Although it's what you were meant for. Because Christ, when He fits you, He gives you His yoke and His burden to carry, which is easy. And actually causes rest to your soul. But if you don't think Jesus is offering you rest for your soul, and you're still looking back to what you could have had if you had done things different, Without Christ, you're not fit yet. Do you understand? Peter's talking about we look ahead to the day of God's great destruction and judgment when all this stuff is wiped out. And we keep forgetting to look ahead to that. But there are some of us who look at that and go, well, I hope I'm not here then. Why? Why? Because it's not going to be fun. But we kind of say that with a grain of salt and a wink. We go, like that's really going to happen in my lifetime anyway. And we think it'll happen in some other lifetime. So it doesn't matter whether I think that's going to happen. I'm not looking at that as a soon coming event. But Jesus said, always be ready. Always keep your wig trimmed and your lights burning. I promise you, if I don't fill up these with the oil every week, they won't burn to the next service. We've seen them go out a couple times and I forgot. I'm not saying that I'm proud of that, but it's true. And gave me a good example this morning. So, what do you think? Do you think that looking ahead to that last day, that judgment day, would change the way you live right now? Yeah. What if you knew at 1 o'clock today, let's go with it a little sooner, 12 o'clock today, in about 10 minutes, it was going to be raining kind of heavy for an hour. Would you have brought an umbrella? Rolled up your car windows. I'll bet you would have, because you're looking ahead to that. You're preparing yourself for that event. This is what Peter's talking about. How should we live knowing that that really is going to happen and God's going to look at how we live now in relation to that event? Are we going to take it as lighthearted? Are we a little more serious about the work of God? We, we forget when we say, boy, I hope it doesn't happen in my lifetime. I don't want to go through that. There are going to be some people who here who will. Mm-hmm. The question is, 
is will they have come to faith because of your actions today or tomorrow? Are you looking ahead like that? God has asked us to reach somebody in our lifetime. He's built us because there's somebody that nobody else could reach. Last year in June, I've told you the story. I was on 6th Street in Paducah and my work ethic was a mess. And, and I said, God, I don't know what to do. He said, there's a plan. Which is the word we're spelling with the P and then the L. So you know how many letters we got. Um, and I said, I don't know the plan. He said, it's not your plan. And I said, but God, is there really plan? He says, yes. And I said, okay. I, I, I know you can do it. I know you can. And I believe you can. He says, I can and I will. Just follow me. Trust me. Let me do the work through you. Let me be your God and you just follow and go where I send you. And I said, it's a deal. And I looked at that moment. I said, oh God. Now this is the prayer I had. It was so funny. I said, oh God, what a day that'll be. I won't have to stress anymore over my paperwork. Won't have to stress anymore about the guilt I was feeling because I wasn't getting it done. Won't have to fear that someone's asking me if I'm being a good example as a believer because now that day has come and I'm doing it. Oh, that day will be great. And God said, yes, look forward to that day. But you've got to live today to get that day. You can't live for that day today. It's not going to get done today. You have to put pieces in place every single day to make this a consistent, on-time, long-term answer. Jesus Christ is not a foxhole Savior. He's an eternal King. Not just for today. Not just for the crisis. He's there for the eternity and the endurance. But I know He'll get us where He's taking us if we'll follow Here's the problem though. On that day I realized I had some changing I needed to do. But I was having trouble figuring out how to do it. I couldn't make myself do it. And here's what I did. I said, God, help me. I can't do this without you. And he said, I know. <laughs> I already knew it. He just wanted <laughs> He just wanted me to acknowledge it because he already knew it too. I had some internal work that needed done. And God had to do that work in me. I wasn't looking forward to the internal work of God to fix some stuff that wasn't working right in the way I thought. How many of us think that when we come to Jesus Christ, we're all done as soon as we say a prayer? Or do you think that maybe God's got some work to do to get us to holiness by being in relationship with His Son, and then we can look forward to the day when we're walking this highway of holiness by His decree. I'm a fool, but I get to go. But I can't be unrepentant and go. And that's the thing. Like I said, Isaiah tells us only certain people figure it out. Only certain people really hunger and thirst for righteousness. But Jesus says those folks will be satisfied. But who are those certain people? 
I believe they're the ones who are convinced that God is real, that Jesus is His only begotten Son, and they want to live a life that pleases them. That pleases Him, I'm sorry. I met this man many, many years ago. His name was Delmas Witten. Delmas was one of those guys you wouldn't put up and want to give a testimony in church. <laughs> he would give his testimony in a local tap. His testimony was, can I have another one? <laughs> Delmas Witten was a rough man. Fights. Got in a lot of fights. He lost a thumb in one of them. I shook his hand and noticed he didn't have a thumb. And I said, what happened? He said, oh, I was, I was at the bar one night and got in a fight. And I'm, I'm saying, why are you asking me over to your house to visit with you when you're going to tell me about how bad of a person you are? And, and, and Delma says, i got to tell you, i got cancer. It's really shook me up. One day, I'm not going to be here anymore. And I spent my whole life running from God, fighting. Fighting everybody, not just God, but fighting. Being in lots of scrapes. I taught my son the wrong way. But it's not too late. I mean, teaching the right way. But I got to do it too. And I said, What are you saying, Delmas? And Delmas said, If it's possible, and God will accept me. I want to spend the rest of my life pleasing Him. I've never heard a more simple statement of faith than that. And I said, Delmas, if that's your heart's desire, that's an answerable prayer. And God will help you do that. And we pray. I've heard people say that when they're facing cancer and other stuff before, but never have I seen someone like Delmas. Delmas got healed of his cancer. I thought, well, there you go. Delmas going back to the old life. <clears throat> Delmas did not go back to the old life. Delmas bought paint. He bought a paintbrush. He started painting the church next to his house. And he started cleaning it up on the outside. And one day someone said, what are you doing in our church? He said, I know some need some paint, so I just painted it. Carry on. He didn't go there. He just started painting it. And he said, after that, I started cleaning up the yard. And all of a sudden, the people in the church started noticing and they started caring for their church a little better. And he said, and then I saw another church. And he started cleaning that one up. And he said, I just felt God could use me to paint things. I don't have much I can do. I don't have a thumb. But I can paint. So he started painting and pleasing God that way. And God was bearing fruit through that. And it's because of that work that He gave His Son a testimony that His Son could see that God can change anybody. Hebrews chapter 12 says it like this. And I love these two verses. Therefore we also, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin, unholiness, which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with confidence and endurance the race that is set before us, looking looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him, looking ahead to it, 
endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You understand, he looked ahead. The chapter before that talks about all the heroes of faith who looked ahead and refused to settle for a momentary pleasure, but rather to live for God. I want to draw you back to Isaiah 35. I want you to hear verses 1 through 4 one more time. It says, The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them. This is the picture of the day when all this comes to pass. The desert will rejoice and blossom as a rose. That just doesn't happen. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon, which is the most fertile section of Israel, will be given to it, the desert. The excellence of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of God, the excellency of our God. They strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God who will come and save you. There is a time when those who are broken, and even verse 5 says, the blind shall have their eyes opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped, and the lame leaping, and the tongue of the dumb singing. All these things happening, but this is at the end. This is not at the beginning. This is the fruit of the labor. But what causes this to happen by the hand of God? It goes through the rest of the chapter and tells you how to get that. It puts the end first. It wants you to know that God's going to do something. But there's a part in it that you play. We focus on the results but we forget about our part. The process is what God's trying to catch us into. And my friends, the problem is is we're only focusing on the goal. Salvation. Oh, uh, eternal life. Or uh, freedom from this crisis. But being holy is a process. You do it along the way. Faith is something that comes along the way. It's not something later. It's now into eternity. But we don't get that if we're not looking ahead to see how far we got to go yet. <laughs> and what are we looking at? Please don't misunderstand me. We're not looking at the fearful day of the Lord. Hebrews 12, 2, we're looking at Jesus, the author and finisher of that faith. That's what we're looking toward. And so we look at how far we got to go to be like Him. To be one with Him as He is one with the Father. And when that happens, the world's going to think you're a fool. The church leaders did not like God's Son. They tried to murder Him. I don't know about you, but that just doesn't seem societally correct. Please don't get mad at me if I say I love Jesus and try to murder me. 
But that's what was happening. I'm looking to Jesus and how far I got to go to get there. I can't get there. You can't get there. You can't make yourself like Jesus. You can't go, I wonder what Jesus would do and then do it. Because you don't know. We don't have those answers stamped out. The answer is that He will show us by indwelling in us and doing it through us, but you can't do that without a relationship of Him living inside you by the power of the Holy Spirit, making you holy as He is holy. This is what we're talking about. I'm looking forward to the day I'm like Jesus completely. But until then, He's working on me. And He's working on you if you let Him. He'll transform you to something wonderful and joyous. You will be beautiful even as you already are in His eyes. I'm excited about that day when we can all stand together, all of us, and say, wow, <laughs> He was right. <laughs> this stuff really happens. Jesus really is the Lord of all. I can't wait for that day. But I can't not live the way I need to with Him as King and Lord now to get me to that day where I'll claim Him for eternity. I can't just claim Him Lord one day and King one day when I expect Him to be such forever. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So we look ahead. But we look ahead understanding that only God can get us there. And we got to be foolish enough to know we can't do it. Would you pray with me? God, I've said a lot of time, if I'm going to be a fool, I'm going to be a fool for You. If I'm going to be out of my mind, I'm going to be losing my mind for Your mind. Then my heart's going to be broken and You'll put Your heart in its place. But God, this morning I'm asking you to, to just pour out Your Spirit here and remind us we're not done yet. You've still got a work to do in us until it's no longer our agenda we're living by, but Yours. And even then, You'll still have a work for us to do. But it won't be to get us out of our own heads and being so self-absorbed and wrapped up in what we think You should do in our lives. God, help us to be servants. And until we serve like You serve, Lord Jesus, don't let us be satisfied with anything less. Keep stirring in us that hunger in that empty spot until we finally surrender and say, I'm yours. Lord, we trust You. I trust You. And I'm asking You this morning, whoever needed to hear this message, heard it clear. For now and forever. Amen. And we're going to sing "Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus" this morning.